Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. Without further ado, that's what the game's all about. All of a sudden, you feel like you can't miss. Welcome to the Action Network podcast, where I guess the NBA is still a thing, despite all of the players being traded to all the places and everyone going to all the different places. I'm Matt Moore. You can find me on Twitter at HB Basketball. Joining me on what is one of about a million emergency podcast that have been recorded during this NBA season across the NBA internet is Rob Perez, AKA worldwide Wob. Rob Russell Westbrook's a Houston rocket. I don't, I don't even know who plays on what team anymore. I feel like we did a NBA 2K draft where you don't play with the, the rosters that are originally assigned to you and you just kind of do fantasy. That's legitimately where we're at now is I couldn't tell you like where Kelly Oubre Jr. is playing basketball next year. I need to get into the depth chart. But it's even weirder that this all happened and Westbrook gets sent from Oklahoma City to Houston. And it makes me feel a little bit for OKC fans because they knew he was going to leave. And if he ended up going to Miami, he's out of the conference you know, good for him. It's time. You know, we're, we're headed a different direction. He's going to sail off into the sunset like the end of Lord of the Rings. This will be fine. But instead, he goes to Houston, like arguably their biggest rival, especially within the division and the conference. Talk about the Warriors all you want. Houston OKC has always been a thing. Now they have to watch Westbrook four times a year in a red jersey play against them. That sucks a little bit. For even though this was a great trade for a team that is clearly building assets and for the future, it's a great trade in X's and O's, but that's got to hurt, man. really does. I feel this, this whole thing has made me feel very old. And the reason it's made me feel old, like I remember how just awesome the Thunder were from 2009 to 2015. Like they were just, they were this incredible team. Like they were nuts. It was so much fun to watch. Young Kevin Durant, young Russell Westbrook, young James Harden. You had in the beginning there was Jeff Green, and you were like, I like Jeff Green. Jeff Green's pretty good. And then like Serge Ibaka winds up there and they make the finals in 2012. And you're like, this is what it's gonna be. It's gonna be LeBron versus Durant, and this is what the NBA is gonna be for the next five years. And we never saw it again. And I am always gonna think that the Thunder, I, I know everyone hates them because of Seattle. Fine. I am always going to think that they got the raw side of history because of the injuries that they suffered, whether it was Kevin Durant or Russell Westbrook or Serge Ibaka in 2014, by the way, which is a weird one um, that doesn't get talked about enough or the insane Clay Thompson game in game six. Um, mm. All of the things that happened losing KD, despite having built a really good team around him, which he won MVP with for then for this to end like that, like that's I'm having a hard time like processing going forward. I've got a column up. That's on there. I know you wrote about OKC. I need to check that out as soon as we get done with this podcast about like the legacy side of all this. But I'm left with just an overwhelming like, man, like that's it. Like all of the thunder are gone. Like that's it. It's it's not the beginning of an era. It's not the end of an era. It feels like it's back to the future a little bit because putting Westbrook and Harden together to all those points that you just discussed. We're going back to the team that played the Heat uh, in the finals. You know, it, it, everything's different, but they are going to go back to those roots a little bit. James Harden on that team was six man of the year. He was not the 
41.2 usage percentage guy that he was. That's an actual number that James Harden was last year. He was not that on Oklahoma City. So we've seen them work together. They they obviously like each other a whole lot. They kid in front of the media. They clearly have chemistry. This checks all the boxes for me other than X's and O's. Because in the end, no matter what team you assemble, there's only one ball on the court. And when you have a career 30.8 usage percentage guy and you have a guy that just put up that 41.2 number, what are we doing here? Because Mori Ball is designed around isolation, threes, and dunks only. And what is the purpose of Russell Westbrook if he's just going to stand there on the edge and watch Harden do his thing? So I commend Mori for making his final chess move. He's out of options at this point because they don't have any cap space. They just pawned off the next half decade of draft control to Oklahoma City. They don't have any ability and flexibility in terms of uh, going out there and maneuvering and making like a deal at the deadline. It's going to be quite difficult for them to do so. So this is their last chance to reinvent themselves. And for the past five years, it feels like the Rockets have always been going with this short-sighted strategy of, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, uh, until it bites you in the ass. But they've been very short-sighted in, I'm going to assemble as many guys as I can get together, and we're going to figure it out later. The problem is that th- they never really stuck to that. They've stuck to Mori Ball. But with Westbrook there and Harden there, I think this at last is just going to be Mori. Like, you know what? You guys do what you do. Um, I-, I would be stunned if they had to stick to like threes and dunks only at this point. Because they have Mike D'Antoni, who's an offensive genius as well. So it's it's going to be real interesting to watch how this works from an X's and O's standpoint. But good for Houston thinking they got the better player here. They got the younger player. They got the more dynamic player. I just can't reason how giving up all those years of draft control to take on an equal contract. Let's not act like Chris Paul is Smush Parker. He's not. He's He's good. I know he's on the wrong side of 30, but he's good still. I just can't believe they gave up that much. Thank you for letting me vent. No, I think it's crazy. I think it's I think it's crazy that the, the, the Thunder got one of the top five point guards of all time, and they got two picks with him. And that's just, that's insane. I get it. I do. I'm with you that I think Chris Paul's demise has been greatly exaggerated. Like when I saw him come back for after the injury at All-Star, he was defending at a high level. He was shooting at a high level. The problems that they had in the playoffs were not like, oh man, Chris can't do it anymore. The problem was just like they were facing the Warriors. That was it. It was the only team in their way. And that team's gone. That team's never coming back. And the Warriors will still be a problem. But like part of my whole thinking, and I was going to write a whole big thing about how like, look, I think that the Rockets probably need to get your money on Western Conference, at least as part of a position, because I was like, look, the, the Nuggets can't match up with them. The Jazz can't match up with them, even with their additions on offense. That's still not a good matchup for them. They still have all these matchup advantages over teams in the Western Conference. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, because I just, this is where I wrote the second part of my column about was, uh, okay, is Russ going to stay healthy? Because nobody talks about this, but for all of Chris Paul's injury problems, Russ has had several knee injuries. He had the most recent one, arthroscopic surgery before last season. It was one of the reasons why I switched and took the Thunder under is because there's a lot of evidence that shows that for the, the first like 14 months after that surgery, NBA players' efficiency declines. It goes back up, so that's promising for the season. Um, but if he has another problem and he's out for a while, that, that's obviously going to really hurt them because they're so thin. And then you've got the issue of, like you mentioned Dan Tony, but and Dan Tony was happy to go ahead and go to this ISO thing. He was like, look, it's going to work. And, and not, when I talked to him two years ago, 
when they got Chris Paul, he was like, look, man, like we just decided like great players are going to figure it out. My job is to get out the way and empower them. And he did. Um, I don't know how you empower both James Harden and Russell Westbrook. They found a way to empower both Chris Paul and James Harden because those are both great passing shooters. Westbrook's a great facilitator in that he can set guys up incredibly well. He's not a brilliant passer, but he's really good at creating buckets for other guys. It's why he's so consistently in the, the top three in the league in assists. Westbrook's not a selfish player. He might be a ball hog, but that's different from being selfish. But that's just entirely different from Chris Paul. So now you have to think that they're changing the entire offense that they won 65 games with two years ago. And I don't know what they're changing it to. Like I, I kind of envisioned when I wrote the article, like, all right, maybe you can do like a seven seconds or less thing. Okay. Cause Capella can get up the floor. Tucker can get up the floor. Gordon can get up the floor. Harden can get up the floor. So maybe you just run more up tempo and then you got Westbrook attacking the rim and you got spot up shooters. And then like Westbrook handles a transition and Harden handles the half court. And if they balance it that way, like that could make a lot of sense, but I just don't know how this dynamic is going to work out. This is the big thing. I don't know if Russ is capable of playing differently. Like it's it's literally a matter of I don't know if he can. Well, I don't think they make this trade assuming otherwise because no one's ever been able to convince Russell Westbrook to abide by their way or their system or their philosophy. And that's why I'm kind of like Maury Ball is going to die just because Westbrook will never, ever be a guy that stands there just standing there without any sort of movement and waiting to catch and shoot. That's not how he plays the game of basketball. You brought up the Golden State Warriors here, which is a great example because like the Chris Paul thing, they are one hamstring injury away, arguably, from probably winning the NBA title. The following year, they run into the Warriors, who are clearly the best team in the Western Conference. I understand Durant got hurt, but they were one of three to four teams in the league last year that you could say they have a chance at actually winning this all. What happened overnight that they decided that Chris Paul is no longer that guy? Because Chris Paul, he may not be as explosive and dynamic as Russell Westbrook, but I'm with you that he is still right on the fringe of being an all-star guard. He was important because he complimented James Harden. They both needed the ball and they both wanted to score, but Chris Paul was a They call him the point god for a reason. He's a floor general. Now it feels like quantity over quality in terms of creation. And not only for Harden and Westbrook, but creating for teammates. They're just – Dan Tony's going to let these guys off the leash and just attack the rim like savage pit bulls. Just get to the rim, the two of you, and I know something good will happen. You couldn't do that with Chris Paul because he's only six feet tall and he doesn't have the explosion and the finishing ability that Russell Westbrook does. So maybe that's the strategy here. New play call. It's called go. Yeah, and that will work, except like if Harden's got we, – we know Harden's had issues with basically endurance going the full length of the season. Is he going to change and maybe take the foot off the gas and do more load management? Because otherwise he's going to run out. You can't run him up and down the floor that way. And if you do that, the other thing is they don't have the personnel to do what, what some of the good teams have done, which is what, what Golden State set the standard of in 2015, we're going to be the number one team in pace and the number one team in defensive efficiency. That was unheard of before they did it. A few teams have danced with it through the last couple of years. The th- the Rockets do not have the personnel to do that. And if you, the problem with D'Antoni teams, once you start sliding defensively, it is not like, oh, we slip a little bit and we're not that good. It's like you bottom into the, the bottom 10 defensively in the league. And when that happens, it's it's curtains. It's just curtains for you if you're trying to compete in the Western Conference without defense. So let, let me ask you something real quick. When are these teams, and when I say these teams, I'm referring to 
the LA Clippers, I'm referring to the LA Lakers, I'm referring to the Houston Rockets. When are they going to pay for their sins? Because what they've done, what these three teams have done, specifically uh, Houston tonight, is they didn't go to the bank and take an 8% mortgage out. They went to Pauli Gutierrez on the corner and did a loan shark deal where they have to pay back double in three years or they're going to get their legs broken. They have so much at risk that they can't even rebuild for the next four years if this fails. So one of these three teams potentially can win. Let's say that happens. The other two aren't. And are they going to be able to come back from this? Because I feel like Maury's been playing on borrowed time forever here. But to his credit, it feels like it should have expired two years ago with him just doing whatever he can to win this year. It still hasn't caught up to him. So my question to you is, will it ever? I don't think so. Because like Daryl has always been so good at managing the margins and getting the most value. And the other thing to consider here is like quite simply this. Let's say that this crashes and burns and it does not work. And in next year they trade Westbrook or two years from now they give it two years and then they trade Russ. And then it's like, all right, things are starting to go downhill and you know, PJ Tucker's gone and Clint Capella wants out. Well, they're going to be an OKC spot and they're going to be the ones shopping James Harden prime MVP to whoever's going to have him. If we're going to forecast right now and look, things can change the CBA. Like there's a lot of noise now about, about teams not being happy about how this has gone down. But I genuinely wonder if like this isn't going to stop. Maybe next year because there's not as many free agents on the market. There's just not like the free agency market next year is 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 horrible. But two years from now, it's bonkers. The 2021 for free agency is nuts. Everybody's in on it. Is is musical chairs good for the league? I think it is. I don't know why yet. Just because look at how much people are paying attention to all this. See, that's the thing. The problem when we have these conversations about good for the league is you can't define it through one prism. You have to be able to very clearly define good. Is it good for attention to draw sponsorship and money for the league? Yes, it is good business for the league. We are at July 11th. Summer League is over and we are still the A block in every show, the A block in every single show. Training camp starts in three weeks everybody's talking NBA tomorrow. Everybody's talking NBA tomorrow when the season's been done for a month. And I've made this, this kind of point the other day, we got two weeks and then Westgate win totals will be out. That's a day of content. We got two weeks and then the schedule's probably coming out in mid-August. And that's two to three days of content. We've got six weeks. There's FIBA, which I don't really care, but that's technically going to keep the NBA in the, in the conversation. You got about four weeks to the end till mid September. And then it's muscle watch season up. Guess who's in town. Guess who's been working out. He added a three. You got two weeks and that's media day. And then we're off to the races again. Like it's good. However, I don't know that it's good for the league in terms of like Howard Beck. I thought was talking about this with Rachel Nichols on the, on the um, drunk with power podcast with low. I thought it was really good. Um, Because Beck was making the comment about what this means for the fans. And I do think this is a problem. One of the things that's happening right now is everybody's like star players are finally taking control of their their power and agency. There are other people, human beings. If you don't care about the owners, fine. If you don't care about the GMs even, fine. Even though the GMs are like mostly just normal dudes who worked in some capacity in basketball and worked their way up. But fine, you don't care about them. But guess who also gets hurt by this stuff? Like Andre Robertson, Terrence Ferguson, Steven Adams. Those three guys were were high quality players on a team that had serious title aspirations. And now they don't know what's going to happen to them. Like Jeremy Grant's in Denver. Like 
They don't know where they're going to be or what's going to happen. And that's all because Paul George said, I want to go play at home. There's collateral damage to all of these moves and unforeseen implications. And that's before we get to the fans where I was having this question to myself today. Like my, my kid's not into basketball, my oldest, but my youngest kind of has a capacity for she's real into sports. I seriously don't know if, if I want to encourage her to get super into like liking a player in the NBA because if she draws an attention to the fan, to the player and the team, how long is that relationship going to last? Like imagine you're a new Thunder fan and you get all in. You're like, Paul George is my favorite player. You got two years and he's gone. Like they're going to lose that fan. There's damage to this stuff that's not seen in the casual eyeballs and casual conversation and the casual money that comes in. The NBA hurts itself with, I think, building long-term sustainable fan bases. I don't feel bad for the players. I, I agree with like your mindset of having a daughter or something that likes a franchise because of a certain player, not the other way around. Uh, and they end up leaving, you know, that stinks. But these guys are comp, the players themselves are compensated tens, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars to be a part of this business. And there's you sign up knowing that you potentially could be in a new city tomorrow. But the, but the star players are ignoring that. Like Paul George signed a five year contract with the with the Oklahoma or four year contract with the Oklahoma City Thunder and then just decided I don't want to be obligated to that anymore. Well, let's talk about that real quick, because I can certainly argue both sides of it. There are, I'm going to count in my head, I'd say maybe 15 to 20 players in the league that have the actual right, and I need to define right as well, but they have the right to like demand a trade and people will listen. And that's simply because they're good enough. So if Paul George, Jimmy Butler... Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul, all guys that have been either disgruntled stars or involved in trade talks or wanting to switch locations, people are going to listen because they have the value, because they are such prominent names that it, it warrants a conversation. But you also brought up the likes of Jeremy Grant, Roberson, my guy Kelly Oubre Jr. If they ever demanded a trade, they're going to get laughed at. Not just by the fans, but by the franchises and organizations. And we've seen in the past when Kobe Bryant went to the Lakers, this beloved Laker, lifetime Laker, he went public, demanded, I don't like playing with Smush Parker, trade me. He wanted out of Los Angeles. You know what the Lakers did? They said, nope, you're going to play here, or you can just sit on the bench and be nothing and irrelevant for the next two and a half years. He ended up coming back, playing, and eventually winning two more titles. So I've seen it work out that franchises don't have to trade these players if they don't want to, because it's worked in the past. But when Anthony Davis has a, the leverage of a contract potentially expiring, or someone that holds the value through the two years that they have left on their deal, Anthony Davis is so good that guys would be willing to wait, even if he sat out this current upcoming season, he would still get a complete full max contract because he's one of, if not the best, or the best, most talented player on earth. There are only so many guys that have that leverage, and they've earned it because they are that good. But on the contrary, again, with the franchises, they're in no position. Look at what the, the Hornets did with Kemba Walker. It, it was stupid, but they didn't trade him. They let him just go through the contract in a completely mediocre, no-win situation. And it was terrible, once again. But that's an example of he's still under contract and probably wants to go somewhere else, but we're not going to do it. So I, you have to always mention both sides in this conversation, and there really is no right and wrong as far as I'm concerned. I don't think there's a right and wrong, but I do think that we need to start having a, a better conversation about we're very desperate to basically take power back from teams because they have control over the players without really understanding that, like, 
you know, look, the players have guaranteed contracts, which is exceptional in the sports world. There's only a handful of leagues that have those kind of deals. And I don't think that that's wrong. I think it's absolutely imperative. Every contract for a professional athlete because of the time, effort, skill, and injury risk deserve to have those contracts. But I think we've gone too far in wanting to empower players without thinking that there's anybody else that gets hurt. The only people that, that most people think got hurt by the Anthony Davis trade situation where he asked out not a year, well, a year and a half early, a year and a half. I was thinking about this today. I, re- I remember that the Clippers and Spurs had not hit their stride in early March. They needed a late win streak in order to secure their playoff positioning as the Lakers tailspun out of existence. If Davis had just kept playing and they and they kind of if they just regulated and then hit a five game winning streak in March, they would have been in prime position for a six to seven seed. And like that's just reality. And all those supporting players around Davis got denied that opportunity, including by the way the money for a possible playoff appearance, the at least the ability to compete for it because Davis tanked it. And we, when we talk about it, all we talk about is well, Dell Demps was an idiot and he traded for bad contracts and signed Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon who. Were really good players, but got hurt. Like that's his fault. And Omar Ashik, and that was a mistake. And like, oh, they did all these like short-term mistakes, and so he deserves it. And I have no sympathy for Gail Benson because she's a billionaire NFL owner. Fine, take Dell Demson and Gail Benson and put them aside. But I got a lot of sympathy for Drew Holiday that did not get a chance to compete in the playoffs, or at least have an opportunity to keep trying to make it. For Julius Randle, for the training staff, for Alvin Gentry, and for the fans. Like there's more to the buy-in for the social construct of the NBA than just the owner, the GM, and the superstar. There's just more folks involved in this thing. Yeah, I, I like that view because I'm just stuck on – maybe I'm just too much of a businessman that I'm thinking of the scene from Mad Men when Peggy walks in and asks for a raise and she says she like deserves it and I do so much for you and you never say thank you. That's kind of like the situation Drew Holiday is in. And then Don screams at the top of his lungs, that's what the money's for. Like, that's why you get paychecks, because that's the thank you for doing good work. So just thinking like that, that these guys are compensated with such high contracts and millions of dollars, I I forget the human element of it. And I forget the human element of it, because when I see this BS of unfinished business, when Paul George is putting that up there with his cigar, and he's at the the concert that Westbrook threw for him, then you've got Daryl Morey going public after the Chris Paul Harden rumors of they're they're having their, they're falling out. And he's like, Chris Paul will be a rocket next year. And I'm here to stop. I don't trust anybody. Like he went public with that, man. And I I say it all the time that loyalty is just a word in the dictionary, and that is always going to be in the case of the NBA with the musical chairs swapping as much as they've been. Uh, This is clearly a business first, not only for the owners and for the franchises, but for the players as well. Okay, we got to get out of here. We're not going to touch on the Thunder side of this because you and I are both waiting to see what they do with Chris Paul. We do not know at this time like what's going to happen in the next 24 hours. Do you think he's a Thunder player tomorrow? Well, this is going up on on what, Friday. So by the time that you hear this – what I've heard is it's unlikely he's with the Thunder. But look, I heard the the same stuff about the Clippers being out that a lot of people heard, where it was like, no, I don't think it's going to be the Clippers. I heard that with Kawhi around the same time, and I didn't report it because I was like, I don't know. The people I'm talking to don't really know. So it's like the same kind of stuff where it's like, look, there's, there's the league's always talking, league's always whispering. Um, I will say though that like the, I guess the other thing is I still think there's good players to be pillaged if you're if you're a team and you're like we really need a wing defender we really need a wing defender go get Andre Robertson take the risk on his injury recovery because like I was DPOY in my opinion before he went down a year and a half ago uh, go get Stephen Adams like his defense slid a little bit is very possible for him to get back up go get like the Celtics should be beaten down the door 
to get Steven Adams for like the Memphis pick. Like Memphis is going to be okay this season with John Moran, Jaron Jackson, and the other guys like go, use either that one or the, or whichever pick you want to use. There's still parts left on OKC and Presty to his credit, not trying to compete. Presty didn't do the thing to say, I was, this is the thing I will say about Presty. He didn't do the thing to save his job. Like a lot of guys in his spot would have been like, yes, I will take on your decent, not great veteran. Yes. I will take on DeMar DeRozan. Yes. I will take on these players that are limited because I want to keep my job. Cause if I could just get to the next step, maybe I could figure something out. He did the full thing. He was like, okay, the run's over. We're going to start over. Okay. No half measures. That was Sam Presti. Sam Presti should win executive of the year. If he finds a way to trade Chris Paul to Miami for even more draft picks. Like we were talking this whole time, what he's going to get back from Westbrook from just Miami. First, he fleeces Houston. Then he gets back almost the equivalent of of Russell Westbrook. Then he goes back to Miami, who was holding firm on we're not trading our young guys uh, for Russell Westbrook. Well, we don't need your young guys anymore, but we will take that first round draft pick for Chris Paul and we'll match contracts. In like in a half decade from now, the Thunder are going to be really great uh, in like eight years they're gonna be really awesome again all right we gotta get out of here uh this has been the action network podcast make sure to go to actionnetwork.com for up to the second betting and dfs information analysis and all the best from wob and yours truly make sure to download our app it's phenomenal uh you can catch up on all that sort of stuff we've got a great new fancy product coming that you're gonna want to check out make sure to rate review and subscribe to this great action network podcast and wob and i will talk to you again another nba edition of the action network nba podcast <laughs>